0: Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 podcast studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths, joined virtually by Joe Hopkins. We're giving uh, Mike Chappell a well-deserved week off this week uh, as the new year is about to beckon Uh, Mike not feeling his best, so uh, if you uh, send your thoughts, your prayers his way, that would be fantastic. I'm sure he'd appreciate your kindness. But nevertheless, Joe and I will get you ready for kickoff. Colts, Jaguars this weekend. Detail keys to the game. It's a do-or-die contest for the Horseshoe uh, in terms of their playoff chances. And we will start with some news around the league. And when you start with news around the league, we're going to start right here for this game. And that is the Frank Reich announced on Wednesday that left tackle Anthony Costanzo is going to have surgery. Well, he said procedure, but what that means is, of course, surgery. He will have surgery on his ankle. And Costanzo is done for the season. Um, This year, the Colts have not been good without Costanzo. All time, the Colts are not good without Costanzo. Um, Joe, I mean, I've witnessed personally a couple times they've been without Costanzo this year. I was actually... I was a perfect 0 for three on road trips this year. Uh, I went to Jacksonville, I went to Cleveland, and then I went last week to Pittsburgh. So the Colts were 0 and three when I followed them around the, the the country. So you can blame me for all of them, but you can also blame the absence of Anthony Costanzo for two and three there. Nothing against the he was not there against the Browns and Miles uh, Garrett had a heck of a day. He was not there against the Jaguars. Uh, not the Jaguars, excuse me. He was not there against the Steelers when TJ Watt had himself a pretty fine day. Um, so. The Colts, like I said, Joe, are, are not good without Costanzo, and they're going to have to to rally without one of their best offensive players that Mike always calls their most indispensable Colt when the Jaguars come to town this weekend.
1: Yeah, they don't have Costanzo, and the backup plan, the Raven Clark was placed on IR roughly a month ago, so they don't even have their backup. They're picking people up off the street to play one of the NFL's premier most important positions, and that's the left tackle blindside protector. For the quarterback so it's certainly a blow huge blow for the indianapolis colts i mean it, it kind of ruined my day honestly It's a gloomy day here in mm-hmm. india it's raining and then the costanzo news it's just a perfect mix but uh yeah indianapolis is going to have to find a way to get things done without them and they were so close to getting it done without him last week
0: they were and like, I- I'm sure you guys went into a lot of detail last week about that game down in Pittsburgh, so I don't have to open up fresh wounds for, for Colts Nation everywhere. But I'll say being there, like, you-, you could feel the momentum in the stadium, even without the fans there. If the fans were there, it would have been just all the more palpable. But, like, even without them, you could feel the energy get sucked directly from the Colts' sideline to the Steelers' sideline in that second half, like, when, when the the, the first drive of the second half, the Colts go down, they kick the field goal, which I think going back is, is like, if they could have scored a touchdown, they are a completely different game. But nevertheless, uh, the Colts kick a field goal, the Steelers drive way down, and they get stopped at the two-yard line. At that point, momentum's still with the Colts, although the Pittsburgh Steelers still showed some signs of life. But when the Colts punted away that time, I think Pittsburgh got the ball inside Colts' territory, like it was not a great punt from Rigo. They get the ball out, and out of the forty-five and just have an easy path to the goal line. They score that time. It's twenty-four to, to fourteen or in whatever it was. In one play, it's one. Yeah, play. yeah. And at that point, it's a ball game. Like it's immediately completely different than t- total domination in the first half. The Steelers had life, and the Colts let them have it. So, so I like. Like I said, Joe, you don't need to go into your whole uh your whole spiel that you guys did on Monday, but that that was my take. That at the very beginning of the second half, I knew that man, that this game is 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 not looking good and was far from over in spite of a dominant first half.
1: Yeah, and it was, you know, watching that game in that third quarter, I kept going, Colts need to make a play. Someone needs to step up and make a play here. Cause the, you know, Steelers scored three straight touchdowns, and it wasn't like the Colts got drives going. They had three and outs, you know, the The defense had no rest in between those drives, and the Colts just allowed all the momentum to go the other side, and part of the reason they were unable to step up and make a play is because without Costanzo to provide time for the playmakers to do their thing, everything is sped up, especially against a terrific Pittsburgh pass rush.
0: Yeah, like I said, I don't want to go—because I could talk about this game, obviously, for the next 30 minutes, but I'm not going to. You guys do a great job of breaking things down on Monday, so our attention now turns forward. We'll get into more of the uh, Anthony Costanzo news in a little bit, but first completing the uh, the more news around the league. On Tuesday, the Cleveland Browns announced safeties Andrew Sedeo and Carl Joseph, along with tight end Harrison Bryant, are headed to the reserve COVID-19 list, and uh, the, the Colts nation will certainly have their eyes on Cleveland— uh, this weekend, as they host the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, as a Browns loss and a Colts win would put the Colts in the playoffs. So that's one of the couple games that um, that Colts, pay, Colts fans will pay attention to in the one o'clock hour. But that's not even it, Joe, for, for the Browns. On Wednesday, they closed the facility after another player and staff member tested positive for COVID-19. There's contract tracing ongoing as we uh, tape this podcast. So th- there are some trouble. In uh, in the brown in Browns headquarters this week, just as there was last week, as four wide their top four wide receivers had to sit out of last Sunday's game as they lost to the Jets, put themselves in a little bit of peril when it comes to the playoffs. So uh, I'm sure Joe, they were hoping for better news this week. Things do not appear to be getting better in the COVID news uh, COVID world for the Browns right now.
1: Yeah, and we haven't gotten official word on those wide receivers yet. I believe they were ruled out for the game because they were close contacts. But the reason being is because they might end up testing positive. So we'll just have to see as far as that goes and see how many of the Browns players are available in that game. Uh, a game in which I guess we'll get kind of right into it here. Ben Roethlisberger is not going to be playing, the Steelers announced. Um, so Steelers aren't going to be with all their players, but neither are the Browns. And it's a, it's a huge game. It, it's one of the games in which it has a better chance of working in the Colts favor because a few of the other Games um, the teams the Colts Need to lose are not playing very stiff Competition
0: right um, With when it comes to The, the Steelers situation it, It's hard for me to really ju- my first Reaction honestly is like The Steelers aren't playing well Enough right now for you to bench your star Quarterback they had one good Half last week against the Colts If if they just Tank it this weekend and Go into the playoffs like that they're going to be a one-and-done in the playoffs. You, you, can't, you, you can't convince me otherwise just because of how poorly they're playing. But on the other side of the coin, like I said, I'm not, I'm not there in Pittsburgh. So if, if there are situations like Roethlisberger's dealing with an injury that's really not been revealed that much and it's more serious than people think that he need, uh, would benefit from a week off, then I get it. Then, hey, if you need him to sit for a week, fine. But, but if, he's, if he's healthy... I don't necessarily agree with this decision to to sit him, but th- th- at the same time, Joe Mike Tomlin has said that it's not like a preseason game they're going into. They might sit one or two other guys besides Ben, um, in, and still play this game. They're not going to go into it with their third and fourth string guys like they would in week four of the preseason. So this is like they're still going to going to give some effort. But I, I if if Ben's not out there and, and they really struggle, like I said, they're not going into the postseason with with any type of momentum. And I I just, I find it hard to believe that that's, that's what they would, would choose to do based on how poorly they've played over the past month of the season, save that second half last week against the Colts.
1: I was kind of surprised as well. I know part of this is because there's no buy for the number two seed anymore. The number two seed is kind of between them and Buffalo at the moment. It could go either way. Um, but, to that point, do the Steelers really want to have the chance of going into Buffalo in January and have to play in the Bills Stadium? You'd think that they would still play for that home field advantage. So maybe you're right. Maybe Big Ben is a little more banged up than he lets on. I remember during the broadcast, they talked about his elbow a little bit, although it certainly looked fine in the third quarter of that game. Um, so uh, I don't know. It sounds like they're still going to try and win the game. They're just going to arrest their almost 40-year-old quarterback. But n- definitely right. not the news that the Colts fans were hoping for after he slung those touchdowns on him. And then he's not going to help them out in the next week against the Browns.
0: Yeah, I, I think that just the, the unique nature of this year makes it so that obviously the second seed is not as important, not nearly as important because there's no first round bye. And like if. The, the way it works out, of course, is if the second and the third seeds both win, then they would go on to play each other then in the uh, in the divisional round of the playoffs before eventually getting to maybe the uh, the AFC championship game. So, like, it's just a matter of where that game will be played, either Pittsburgh or Buffalo, assuming they won their first uh, their first uh, game in the playoffs. So. Like, I th- I think both teams are cold-weather teams. It's not like one of them is Miami and one of them is Buffalo, you know, and they're trying to see whether they'll play in the warm weather or the cold weather. So maybe they're both like, eh, it doesn't really matter whether we play in Buffalo or whether we play in Pittsburgh. They're both outdoor stadiums in the north that, that could be snowy, could be cold. So at the end of the day, it's like, well, well who cares between the second and the third seed? So... And that's um, a good point so without
1: yeah. fans. We've seen the, the record. Right, exactly, the field yes. advantage is pretty much gone this season. So I, I guess they thought they had more to lose with Ben Roethlensperger yep. than more to win in this game.
0: So when it comes to the Colts' playoff scenarios, the first thing that has to happen is the Colts have to either beat the Jaguars or tie the Jaguars to keep their playoff hopes alive. And uh, a win would, of course, be much more uh, palatable to close the season uh, against the Jaguars, which uh, won their first game of the year against the Colts, and then have proceeded to uh, do nothing but lose ever since. They are 1-14 on the year. Joe, I remember talking, like, after that first game, we're like, maybe the Jaguars are better than everyone thinks. They did this well, they did that well, they did the other well, and then after that, they made fools of us and uh, reminded us that they're the Jaguars and haven't done a whole lot uh, since then. So the, the Jaguars, once again, proved they were the Jaguars after the Colts visited them on their home turf to start the season. And, uh, yeah, but but anyway, you you, you need to beat or tie the Jaguars this time to keep your playoff hopes alive. And then you need one of the following things to happen. You need the Browns to lose to the Steelers. You need the Dolphins to lose on the road against the Bills. And we've already talked about the Steelers and the Bills a little bit, what they're doing this week. Bills aren't letting on whether they're resting starters or not. So uh, we'll see about that. You need either the Ravens to lose at the Bengals. Good luck with that. Or you need the Titans to lose uh, in Houston to the Texans, and that would allow the Colts to win the division. Now, out of all those, I think the Dolphins losing to the Bills is the most likely, especially if the Bills play their starters and they want home field for whatever reason. But uh, I think the, the next most likely to me would be the Texans. I'm mean, the Texans beating the Titans, Joe. It, it's a division game, even though the Titans are much be- better than the Texans as a whole. Like... Well, there's, all, all these are division games, to be fair, but I, I guess I've, I've just seen how dangerous the Texans can be. They've been this close to beating the Colts twice, so I wouldn't put it past the Texans to beat the Titans, and that game's going to be at the same time as the Colts this weekend, 4 o'clock, a late afternoon game, so it'll be going on at the exact same time. But, but one of those things has to happen if the Colts want to make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you on Houston and Deshaun Watson until I just picture Derrick Henry running straight through the Texans defense or non-existent defense. And then I go, that's not going to work out very well. Um, But you're right. I mean, we've talked about how many times Deshaun Watson is capable of winning a game on his own. He's done it basically four times this year. Um, I wouldn't put it past the Steelers to still beat the Browns without Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, They almost got into the playoffs with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges last season. Um, and if they do end up playing most of their starters, it's just Big Ben and maybe TJ you know, Watt or a couple other their premier guys that they rest. Um, I think they have a chance. But you're right. It's, it, 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 it's looking less and less likely with these teams resting their starters in Week 17 that it's going to work out for the Colts. But you never know. This is the NFL and any team can beat any team on any given Sunday.
0: And the great thing is you're going to know a lot after the first round of games because that Ravens, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills, Browns, Steelers are all in the one o'clock window and the Colts kick off at four. So they'll be going up uh, at the same time as the Titans, Texans. So three of those possible four, you'll already know what's going on with uh, with those games. So um, that it's quite possible the Colts will know going into the four o'clock game that they win and they're in or they tie and they're in. Um, But, again, this this comes down to Sunday, and we'll see exactly what happens uh, out of all those possibilities. So um, let's go to injuries for this week. Colts and Jaguars uh, kick off at Lucas Oil Stadium, the uh, 4 o'clock hour on Sunday afternoon. Uh, We already mentioned left tackle Anthony Costanzo is done for the season. And, uh, Joe, you said already earlier that Plan B, LaRaven Clark has been on injured reserve for a month. Well, Plan C, Will Holden, is also out. Against the Jaguars, the guy who stepped in and played left tackle last week down in Pittsburgh, and I thought did pretty darn well. Not perfect, but most of the time the pressure was coming from the other side, um, for, from what I saw uh, out on the field. So not, not that Will Holden, I think, would be an adequate backup for Anthony Costanzo in the long run, but but he held his own there for for one game. And that, that's what he was asked to do. And, and now you're basically on to plan not A with Costanzo, not B with Clark, not C with Holden, but you're on to plan D now at one of the most important positions there is.
1: Yeah, he, he certainly seemed to hold up a little better than Chaz Green did out there. I think Mike and I talked on Monday, the Chaz Green experiment or whatever you want to call it, it's not worked out. He's not playing good football I would avoid Chaz Green at all possible. I know they have Webb that they activated from the practice squad. Like, how
0: bar. bad must Jamarcus Webb be? He he started eight games for the Dolphins last year. He was supposed to be the Colts' starting right tackle until he hurt his hamstring, and Braden Smith came in and all of a sudden became the right tackle of the future. Like, and that was puzzling to me, why Jamarcus Webb would not be out there. He must be not in not in good shape, not in a good state of mind. I don't know what it is, but but to have all these other guys who have just swooped in in front of them was completely puzzling to me.
1: Yeah, and so the next thing on here is the Colts did activate Braden Smith from the COVID reserve list. So it looked like it was just a close contact. It appears he'll be back this week. So when speaking about the offensive line, do the Colts leave a, the rest of their line intact with you know Nelson, Kelly, uh, Glowinski, and then Smith on the right side and leave a glaring hole at the left tackle? Or do they move Quentin Nelson over like we saw in the Raiders game for a few snaps, put Danny Pinter in at left guard, and that probably gives you your best five on the field. Now, they're a little lessened because obviously Quentin's better at guard than he is tackle, but that way you're getting your best five on the field or do you let your players play their positions and leave a glaring hole at left tackle?
0: And that's that's just such a... I'd say that's a tough call. I think for me it's an easy call. I think you'll leave Quinton on the inside. It, he, was, he was good for an emergency situation for a couple of plays out there. See if Costanzo could come back and uh, work through it. I don't know if you want to leave him out there for an entire game at left tackle. Not, not that I'm trying to undersell Quinton Nelson's ability as an offensive lineman at all. Just trying to accentuate the fact that there are differences between a guard and a tackle. Just like there are differences between a tight end and a wide receiver, like Travis Kelsey, like could not be a wide receiver in the long run, even though he's one of the best tight ends in football. It's just it's not it's not what he's built to do. It's not what he's made to do. Quentin Nelson is one of the best guards in football that's what he is built to do. That's what he is trained to do. That's what he's done over and over and over again for years upon years upon years of his life. And let me tell you, if Quentin Nelson was a better tackle than X, Y, or Z, they probably would have shifted him there at Notre Dame at some point. I mean, they had pretty good tackles in Notre Dame. I think Mike McGlinchey was their left tackle out there. I think he was drafted by the 49ers or something. Uh, So um like there there are there have been other options besides quentin nelson for his entire career not just in college to go out and play tackle so th- that there there's a reason for that it's not like oh shoot let's just move quentin to tackle i can't believe no one ever thought about that before like he's a guard for a reason to me and to to try to throw him out there in in, in a full game scenario at that position th- to me, it's just, it would really, it would surprise me. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe he'd be exceptional. And that would be fantastic. And if there's any one team for him to be exceptional against, it might be the Jaguars, who are a, just not a good team, not a good defensive team. So, so you, could, you could prove me wrong, and that'd be fantastic. But, but, Joe, I just find it hard to believe that that is, that is the option on the table right now for, for Frank Reich and for... Uh, Nick Siriani. I think that there will be some kind of different plan, especially since you just had um Braden Smith return from the COVID nineteen list. I think that it's going to be the usual four from Smith to Glowinski to Kelly to Quentin and then uh Chaz Green on the left hand side or Jamarcus Webb out there because Chaz Green has shown that he's not very good as a left tackle either. Um so I, I I just don't think it's going to be Quinton. I, I think that that's that's trying to throw in a, a overly complicate things. And uh, if you have Chaz Green in there or or Jamarcus Webb, well, dang it, you're just going to have to help him. You're going to have to chip him with the back. You're going to have to chip him with the tight end and, and do that on probably I don't know, seventy five or eighty percent of your pass plays, uh, and then the other. 20 or 25% where you don't, it's, the ball is supposed to come out, three-step drop, boom, gone, or wide receiver screen, or whatever it might be. Or you're trying to get the, wide, the, the defensive end to come past you for a screen on that side. Those, those are the times that you don't help them out. But any other time, if it's a five-step, seven-step drop that you need some development in the route, you just need to help them. You need to bite the bullet. You just can't send the exact wide receivers or all receivers or tight ends or backs that you want out into the, out into the, the route Tree, the route combination, whatever have you, like that—that—that's my take. And I know that I got a little long-winded there, but but I, I just—it it comes back to you're you're throwing more complexities into your offense in a one-week time frame that I don't think you have to do. I think you can do things other ways that you have practiced throughout the rest of the year, and and, and go to it that way and beat a Jaguars team that, to be frank, you should beat anyway.
1: Yeah, I, I just you know I and, know and I point. get
0: it if somebody disagrees. If somebody disagrees and wants to have Quentin, I get it. But that that, that is my opinion.
1: Sure. And I, I you know, I don't even know what the right answer is. I just find it a very interesting question because I have to believe that Quentin Nelson, even out of position at left tackle, would hold up better than Chaz Green has or Webb will. We haven't seen him quite yet. Although we did a little bit in the Pittsburgh game. Um, but then you're, you know, you're lessening your guard position with Danny Pinter. And then it's more of a question of overall offensive line. What gives you the best total package, um, and maybe keeping those four in their normal positions. And just like you said, biting the bullet at left tackle is the way to go. Um, it's just an interesting conversation, especially not just for the Jaguars. We can talk about it Maybe next week if they beat the Jaguars and get into the playoffs. But if you're going to make a long playoff run, I have a hard time seeing that happening with Chaz Green or Webb. Um, but, but that's neither here nor there because they have to take care of business this week and get lucky to get in.
0: The Colts also activated linebacker Jordan Glasgow from the reserve COVID-19 list, restored safety Ibrahim Campbell, and defensive tackle Robert Windsor to the practice squad from the practice squad COVID-19 list too. Um, and as of the start of this week, safety Kari Willis and wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. are in concussion protocol. So that's not great for, for either of those guys. And Joe, this is something that I tweeted after the game uh, on Sunday with, uh, with Kari Willis. It is not coincidence that after Kari Willis got knocked out of the game with a concussion, that the Steelers scored all of their second half points. Like, they, they got beat deep on multiple plays. And Tavon Wilson, in particular, got beat on one of those long Roethlisberger plays where he just, he bit on the pump fake, and Roethlisberger hit, I think it was, I think that was the Schuster, no, it wasn't the Schuster touchdown. I think, I think it was. was. It? No, I don't remember. I think remember. it was Juju. Okay, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, okay, I, it, so we put our heads together and figured out, yes, it was that touchdown. So, like, Carr Willis is having a very underappreciated season for several reasons. Um, I think A is because DeForest Buckner is getting a lot of the attention on defense, understandably so. B is because you still have Darius Leonard, and, and he's fantastic. C is because Kenny Moore has made all these in, has made several incredible plays, and uh, so he's getting the highlight reel plays. Uh, D, earlier this year, it was uh, Justin Blackman filling in for, um, for Malik Hooker, coming in and performing better than expected and having several end-of-the-game plays that really sealed a couple wins for the Colts. So Kari Willis has kind of been... Below the radar, but to have a below the radar safety, like it can be a very, very good thing because that means you're never looking back in the secondary and seeing a wide receiver running behind them for a touchdown. Uh, and, and Kari has shown up on the tackling list as well this year a couple times when either Darius is is not the tackles leader, it's been Kari who's a tackles leader. Um, like he he sticks his nose in there as well as as well as most, if not uh, more than most safeties. So. Uh, like the Steelers were able to, like I said, convert all their drives after Will, after Kari Willis went out into touchdowns in the second half. And like I said, Joe, that w- that was not a coincidence to me. H- his absence was certainly felt on the back end.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I saw you tweet that and I was like, damn it. He's right. Because I, I, you look at it and Kari Willis is third on the team in tackles. He has two sacks on the year. He has to pick six against the Raiders. He, he doesn't get the attention because he doesn't make as many of those splash plays. But he just does his job, and so many of the times when a player is doing their job, they don't get mentioned on the broadcast, and that actually is a good thing.
0: For the Jaguars, their injury report is, is not that great either. Um, their running back, James Robinson, the undrafted rookie, has an ankle injury and won't play this weekend. He's really had a tremendous season, Joe. Um, really been a, a fantasy stalwart for uh, folks who got him late in drafts or, heck, picked him up as a free agent acquisition probably after week one when he had 90 scrimmage yards in the first meeting against the Colts. People realized that he was going to be the quote-unquote bell cow down there, depending on how much of a bell cow you could have in Jacksonville. But he would get at least most of the carries or the touches or the catches out of the backfield. So, hey, maybe we'll stash him down here on, on our bench. And it turned into a pretty good stash probably because he's had a pretty darn good season down there. Um, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, Daria Agumbawale handled 71% of the snaps last week with Robinson out. So you might see him out there, uh, trying to run against, uh, the Colts defensive front. Some notable Jaguars on injured reserve, uh, 2020 first round pick CJ Henderson, who played really well in his first meeting with the Colts. If I'm not mistaken, he had an interception, uh, on, against Philip Rivers. Maybe that was someone else, but I think it was CJ Henderson. Yeah. He had one of three the three
1: best defenses in that game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really good. NFL debut for him against Rivers and the Colts. Uh, their 2019 first-round pick, Josh Allen, also on injured reserve. Uh, probably the best pass rusher on that team when healthy. Starting center Brandon Linder is on injured reserve. Wide receiver D. Westbrook is on injured reserve, and other cornerbacks D. J. Hayden and Sidney Jones as well on injured reserve. So that's three cornerbacks that are on injured reserve right now. And for more injury updates, uh, we can check out. Uh, you can check out our Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. And get updated throughout the week when uh, the Colts and the Jaguars each release their injury reports on Wednesday later, Thursday later, um, and uh, of course on game this Friday, Saturday, um, and just uh, so stay up to date in that vein. So, uh, but Joe, the um, the one thing that's not really injury related but uh, is a uh, what's it called? Is, is a notable change in, in the lineup as we really shift to our game preview here as the 10-5 Colts host the 1-14 Jaguars on Sunday, four twenty five kickoff. You can brought, watch it on CBS4 if you're watching in central Indiana. But, uh, Joe, uh, we can shed a tear for Minshew Mania as Mike Glennon, uh, head coach Doug Marone out of Syracuse University, tells reporters it is Glennon who will get the start uh, against the Colts in Week 17 and, and not Gardner Minshew, which I'm like, Doug, I love you. You're my orange. You're my boy. But don't you know that Gardner Minshew eats the Colts for lunch? What are you doing here? Putting Mike Glennon in to start this game.
1: Yeah, I I don't really get it either because Glennon's played in four games this year. 62% and about 800 yards, five touchdowns, five interceptions. It's not like Mike Glennon is tearing it up either. Um, You look at what Minshew's this year, I believe he has a 16 to five touchdown to interception ratio. So that seems better to me I don't know what the deal is maybe they're just doing the only thing I can think of and this might be ridiculous but the only thing maybe they're doing this so that there's no question about whose team this is when they draft Trevor Lawrence um just to kind of be like you know what Minshew's not working we're gonna put the kibosh on that right now we're drafting Trevor Lawrence Um, You
0: know, that makes that really does make a lot of sense to me, because if Minshew goes out and rocks the Colts in his final game and is going off the field and his mustache and is all crazy and gets these great interviews with whoever coming off the field like that's it's not a disaster for you, but it's a bad look that you're going to go out and you're definitely going to draft Trevor Lawrence number one overall next spring. And they've been you know, this isn't the first game
1: that they've played Mike Glennon over him. And I, I know they had for a little bit Luke Lawton. I believe playing for the Jaguars. Just, so,
0: isn't it Jake Luton? It? Jake
1: Luton, yeah, I think yeah. Uh, that guy. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly.
1: Um, so I, I don't know what the deal is, but yeah, if if Minshew had torn it up this year or at least played solid, you know, then you start to get the rumblings of oh, do you trade down and get a whole dr- hall of draft picks this is the only reason. But I will say. As someone rooting for the Colts, I'm, I'd rather see Mike Glenn in Gardner men's I
0: completely agree. Completely agree. Um, and let's look at the Jaguars. They've failed to the top 20 points in each of their last three games. Uh, they're averaging less than 20 points on the season, the fourth fewest in the league. Uh, they're 329 yards per game, ranks 26th in the league. They've allowed the 10 most, 10th most sacks. That's not the worst, but certainly not great. They're kind of in the middle of the pack. And uh, they've committed 26 turnovers, which is not good. That's sixth most in the NFL. Um, when they get the ball to their playmakers, they can do damage. D.J. Chark, there are the a team in the NFL who wouldn't have a spot for D.J. Chark on their roster. He's a really good wide receiver that if you don't know the name, uh, you should know. I, I know Colts fans should, should know that name by now for sure. And uh, I think after Trevor Lawrence gets there next year and he has a real quarterback throwing it to him, that's going to be uh, a name that you know very well over the next 10 years in the NFL. Uh, Keelan Cole, uh, as you wrote, Joe, no scrub uh, right here. Uh, Keelan Cole is the one who caught the fourth quarter touchdown uh, and took the that took the lead over the Colts in week one of this season. And LaVisca Chenault, the rookie out of Colorado, is a is really good run-after-the-catch guy. He's quick, he's fast. They can put him back in the, um, what's it called, in the backfield. wildcat. Yeah, and he can and put him in the backfield, and he can do things back there. So, um, so so like I said, Joe, like this is a Jaguars team that is struggling, but the Colts just had an offense that was struggling last week. And and what we what you learn in the NFL is if you give a struggling team an ounce of belief, then they can take it and they can run with it. Well
1: and you have to think the Jaguars would absolutely love to ruin their division rival Colts' chances at the playoffs and in yeah. Yeah, they would love to do that. And these players are still playing for contracts, you know, that they still need to get paid. They're not going to throw in the towel just because it's the last game of the year. Same with the coach, Doug Marone. So uh, they're going to give it their all. They're going to want to knock the Colts off and they have a few weapons to do it. They're they're the worst team in the NFL for a reason, but they're not. The Colts still have to show up because they're capable of being beaten by the Jaguars.
0: And Jaguars' defense, if, uh, we've, if you thought the offense was unimpressive, uh, the defense is, uh, to put it bluntly, uh, terrible. They are dead last in the league in yards allowed per game. They are second to last in the league in points allowed per game. Um, they're third to last in the league in sacks, only have 18 on the season. Um, and they are fourth last in the league in takeaways. They only have 16. So it, you are hard-pressed to find any statistical category where the Jaguars have showed promise this year as a whole. They did get a couple takeaways from the Colts Week One, um, but as like I said, as a whole, this this has been an unimpressive group. Um, defensive end Dwayne Smoot leads the team with five and a half sacks, and if you knew that, then well, props to you. Uh, Josh with Josh Allen on the on the bench with uh, C.J. Henderson uh, on the bench uh, because of injured reserve, both of them. Uh, Joe, this is just not not a defense that. That impresses anyone in any way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, if you're searching for a bright spot, I suppose it would be their linebackers. Joe Sherbert and Miles Jack is a, a pretty good linebacking duo. But as far as if I'm building my team, I'm not starting with my linebackers. Uh, they have no—their right, right. their front four, their defensive line is not good. And neither is their secondary after all the injuries to their cornerbacks. So there's only so much their linebackers can do at this point. Uh, I mean, the Colts should have no problem running the damn ball in this game. I I, want to see 200 yards out of Jonathan Taylor.
0: And that will be our first key to the game as the Colts kick off against the Jaguars Sunday afternoon, 425. That is RTDB. You just said it, Joe, and uh, preferably not just in the first half. And I know a lot of people are complaining about play calling in the second half. I'm not going to get into that uh, too much. I think our friend at The Athletic, Stephen Holder, did a really good job on Twitter earlier this week kind of breaking down some of those things and why those decisions happen and, uh, and, and who makes those decisions and the reasons behind them. It was poor execution that, that I think lost the Colts the game in the second half. It, wasn't quite, it was not quite as much the play calls that went in. Um, it was uh, that they, they were not executed properly. But uh, anyway, it, it would still be nice to, to try, e- even, if, even if they have an eight-man front, to try to get Jonathan Taylor to go, because he has been going the past couple weeks. He is 84 yards shy of 1,000. He could get that. He should get that, to be frank, against this Jaguars team if he stays healthy. And and again, this is, Joe, another reason that I kind of like leaving the offensive line as intact as possible, because it's not just the passing game. It's also the running game and that's what really led you in the first half to really dominate the Steelers. If you have those four guys, right tackle all the way through left guard, that are consistent, I think, Joe, that goes a long way in keeping Jonathan Taylor at his best.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. The Colts shouldn't have to throw the ball much in this game, so you shouldn't have to worry about the blindside protection for Phillip Rivers. Yeah, just don't overcomplicate things. Don't get cute. I don't want to see any... Trick passes or anything like that. Just run the ball. Taylor's been running so well. I believe I saw a stat that Mike had. He's averaging 97 yards per game over his last five games. Um, just keep riding him. He looked so good against a very tough Pittsburgh defense, breaking tackles on ev- nearly every carry. Uh, just run him and Heinz too. Heinz ran very well against Pittsburgh as well. And if it wasn't for a block in the back call on Glowinski. My prediction of a huge Naheem Hines game would have been correct because he got like 60, have... 70 yards before the half, almost. It got called back. But uh, I digress. But yeah, just run the ball. They should be able to run the ball, especially against this Jaguars team. And if you run the ball well all game long, that should be enough to beat them.
0: No one has gained more yards for the Colts this year through penalties than, uh, than T.Y. Hilton. And nobody has lost more yards through Colts-committed penalties than Naheem Hines this year. I mean, that guy, you see him sometimes going back to the huddle, like slamming the ball between his hands because he gets frustrated. And and I, I totally get it in that situation. You work your butt off to be able to hit those plays. And that's exactly what he is brought in to do. Specifically, those are the stats that give him a good second contract when he makes it to that point in his career. And to get a couple of them, multiple of them, called back in one season, like it, I know it's super frustrating for him. At the same time, I think there's, a lot of Colts fans who appreciate, and of course, there are people in the Colts front office who appreciate what he has done, even with seeing those big plays negated due to penalties. But, but like I said, Joe, to to be the guy that's supposed to make that those plays, then you make them, and there are penalties. I mean, it just it weighs on you. It weighs on your conscience. And he's an emotional guy, and and, and I say that in a, in a positive way, not that emotions rule him, but like he he really he thrives on it, and, and it's. It's been a, it's been a, in, at times very frustrating, very rewarding at times, but at times a very frustrating season to be Naheem Hines.
1: Yeah, and, and it's there's a difference, right? There's some of those penalties where you go, oh yeah, that's why he was so open, or right. that's why he was able yeah, yeah, yeah. to And then there's those. The penalties block in where, the
0: back was not one of those.
1: No, <laughs> that don't impact it at all. If if that didn't happen, he still would have gained that yardage. So it's tough, but I think we all appreciate Naheem Hines here on this podcast, and hopefully. No penalties negate uh, his potential big plays against the Jags.
0: Yeah, that could be another key to the game penalties for sure. They were killers against the Steelers, and you can complain about the referees. I understand that. Um, there, there's an article that I, that I put on um, fox59.com and cbs4indy.com after that game just with kind of three different perspectives. One was the Darius Leonard saying uh, the refs were a uh, terrible or a terrible call um what's his name uh tj carey said uh the call one call was questionable and then frank reich says well it was kind of understandable because we scout the refs and we know that this unit calls more on the back end so like like i said you can you can get into it a little bit more there online fox59.com cbs4indy.com but but joe penalties either uh, one way or the other to take away big plays or to to give big plays big uh big chunk plays to the other team don't it's one way that you can just lend the Jaguars a hand to, and they're a team that really needs a hand to be able to win games. And so that's one thing you just cannot do.
1: Yeah. The uh, the way I look at this game is the Jaguars can't beat the Colts, but the Colts can beat themselves in this game. And so whether you agree with the penalties that were called last week or not, the Colts need to clean that up. They've been pretty good about penalties all season. This was kind of a rare instance um so if they clean that up and I think they will that's one of the keys to the game is don't hand things to the Jaguars.
0: And those are others that are like defense don't give up big plays just don't let them get behind you make them drive and it's the same thing you d- you don't hand them like these big plays. Um you win the turnover battle uh yourself uh which which the Colts have done most throughout the year and the Jaguars are not good at causing turnovers and they're bad at giving the ball away as I've already alluded to with their rankings in the NFL this year. So so like you said, exactly, there, there are many ways that you can beat yourselves. There are not many ways, if any ways, that the Jaguars can really beat you based on their roster, based on your roster. Like This, this should not be a game that you lose. In spite of having Anthony Costanzo gone, in spite of the Colts' record without Costanzo, I believe it's 3-12. and That's what our Mike Chappell says, the Colts are 3-12 and all the time uh, without Costanzo in the lineup. So, so yeah, run, run the ball and don't be stupid is is what it comes down to which which is which is a weird thing to say but that that it it might be that simple
1: yeah and i get it it's a weird year where there's lots of you're it's almost like in the afc this year you're either good or terrible because there's not a lot of those eight and eight teams there's so many double digit win teams buying for a playoff spot but In my opinion, if the Colts can't beat the Jaguars this weekend, they don't deserve to make the playoffs, uh, even if they did win 10 games. Handle your business against the Jaguars, and maybe just fortune is against you if the other team, all those other four teams win. But at least beat the Jaguars.
0: Let's get to the game predictions. FanDuel has the Colts at 14-point favorites. The over-under is at 49-and-a-half. And I don't know, Joe. Perhaps our Mike, Mike Chapel had those numbers in mind when he gave us his prediction, because his prediction, thirty-one seventeen, is pretty much on line with with those numbers. Fourteen point favorites, and a thirty-one seventeen would put him at forty-eight. So slot him right at the under there. So you're, you're looking at a score right around that range, uh, is what uh, what the experts predict is going to happen this weekend. Um, I I think the Colts go into this game. I don't know how many points they're going to score, but I don't think the defense is going to allow much of anything. I don't know what Mike Glennon can do and a backup running back, uh, Dare Agumbawale, against this defense when it's playing at its best. And I think the defense deserves a lot of the blame for what happened last week in Pittsburgh, Uh, perhaps more so than the referees, perhaps more so than uh, than interceptions. I I, I, I thought that this defense was, was... caught on their heels, and, uh, and could not get off of them last week. Anyway, I, I think they come back this week with a bit more of a vengeance. I, I do not think this n- number is getting to 49.5 points. I, I, would, I would hit the under myself if I was a betting man, but I think the Colts win like 24-10 to 10 is, uh, is my prediction. I think the, the two touchdowns is probably pretty darn close, but uh, I think 24-10 to 10 is a pretty good look for this weekend. The Colts win, and then they're going to need some help in order to get in the playoffs. What do you think, Joe?
1: Yeah, I'm in that range. I'll go 30 to 13 Colts. Um, I, I, I'm i with you on that. I just can't see the Jaguars doing a whole lot. I think they're going to have a couple turnovers that might set the Colts up in good field position to get some more points than they you know, normally would have without Costanzo. So 30 to 13 is my prediction in this one.
0: And you can follow us on Twitter for all our Colts ramblings throughout the week. I am at Dave G underscore sports. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. And, of course, you can follow our Mike Chapel as well at M Chapel. All of us are at Colts Blue Zone. Follow us there for Colts injury updates, for uh, whatever news of the day from Coach Frank Reich and the rest of the team as well. And we do thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Please subscribe. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device week after week. The Colts and Jaguars kick off in week 17, the final week of the NFL season, at 425 p.m., broadcast in central Indiana on CBS 4. So we hope you watch it then. And then join us next week as we recap the season and hopefully talk about a playoff preview with the horseshoe. This has been the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Take care. Happy New Year, everyone.